Hello, it's 21st of August 2018 and this is episode 76 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star's news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. I'm not going to go into the whole how has your week in Star Wars been thing just because it's more important to say that this is the first episode we're recording now that Kirsty is back on United States soil. Weird. Very exciting. Yeah. Back home. I'm going home both ways, so that's how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have homes on both sides of the ocean, which is yeah, nice. Yeah, very lucky. <laughs> no, and this, hopefully, should mean that we're going to go back to a more regular schedule of programming. Because, oddly, when we're further apart, it's actually easier to record. I know that will sound strange, but I think it's just about being in a particular routine. And over the summer, we're on holiday and we're seeing people. And we're seeing people all year round, but it's just easier, I think, when it's not some halls. Yeah, when you're at home, it's just easy to be like, right, it's going to be Saturday mornings or evenings for you or whatever. (laughs) So, Yeah, exactly. And we make it happen. Um, yeah, so just before we get into the news section proper, we wanted to give a bit of breaking news. And do you have the story there, Kirsty, about Richard E. Grant and a character who he is not playing? Yeah, so this is from the Radio Times. Um, yeah, it says, the Radio Times reports that Richard E. Grant is not playing Star Wars villain Grand Admiral Thrawn. So I think he was asked about this specifically because that's been like the main point of speculation about his role. Um, obviously, mm. it wasn't something that we subscribe to, although, you know, we're still kind of undecided on whether he'll be a villain in general because that's the kind of role that he's known for. But um, yes, yeah, someone mentioned the theory to him and he said, I'm not playing the Star Wars character you just mentioned. I'm not allowed to tell you anything. <laughs> Otherwise, I would be fired. It's a complete lockdown <laughs> on any information whatsoever. So he can, you know, put, he can kill that particular theory, but he can't really say anything else. But that's enough for me for now. Yeah, no, that is really good news to me. Like I say, I didn't realistically think it was going to be Thrawn, but I always wanted Richard E. Grant to be playing a new character because, I don't know, I think that when you're playing a pre-existing character, there's just all these expectations and these preset character traits that you have to adhere to Mm -hmm. and I find that less exciting than when you're just playing a completely new role and you can make it your own and really define it yeah and I'm sure others feel differently um and I know a lot of people did want him to be Thrawn um but I Mm. just think it would look kind of (laughs) goofy you know to go from animation to live action I'm just not sure how that would work I'm sure you know the makeup artists and everyone would do the best job that they could but to me, I'm not sure yeah. I'd be able to take it seriously. Oh. Yeah, no, it's true. It's like Ahsoka. I think that's a great character design. And I think she looks really cool in the Clone Wars and Rebels. But I just don't see how that would translate to a live action film. I think there are just certain designs where they just seem too firmly rooted in this very stylized, like animated world. You know, and I think it'd be very difficult to realise them properly. Mm-hmm. Also, wouldn't Thrawn be really old by the time episode 9 you know it was in the timeline <laughs> i mean i guess we yeah don't have the the average lifespan of chiss but he'd be like well into his 80s surely yeah isn't he meant to be like middle-aged around the time of rebels yeah he's 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 an adult in the clone wars you know wow yeah so i'd guess like an 
optimistic estimate of his age would be like 95 or something. You've got to be measuring it in relation to like Ezra. And Ezra is about the same age as Luke. And Luke is what, like 60 or late 50s Mm. in Last Jedi? Yeah. And then I'd assume there are at least 30 years between Ezra and Fraum, at least. And so, yeah, he's pushing 90 now. Yeah, I mean, he's a contemporary of Anakin in that new book that just came out, right? So, I don't know. It it could have happened, but I I just, I don't know. I would assume that they're, like, on a level with the average human lifespan, but I don't think there's anything in canon yet to actually confirm that, so... Either way, we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's not Thrawn. <laughs> He's so. not Thrawn. Thank the maker. Sorry, Thrawn fans. Oh, you know what? Like, I'm sure there are Thrawn fans out there who didn't want him to be Thrawn anyway. Because, yeah. you know, just kind of shoehorning him into the sequel trilogy doesn't really make sense. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of feel like he's rooted in an earlier part of the timeline. Yeah. And yeah, so I think it makes sense for him to be where he is rather than just being moved up so much to go right into the events of the present day. Mm -hmm. So that's the episode nine news that we have for the week. (laughs) Slim pickings. Isn't it lovely that episode nine news is news about things that are not happening? (laughs) Certainly, we're slowly ticking off the things that are just not going to be part of that story rather than the things that are. It reminds me of Monty Python in the Holy Grail, where they show like a slideshow of the knights, and one of them is Sir not appearing in this film. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like that. Yeah. But other than that, Richard E. Grant has been really sweet so far in terms of how you know excited he seems to be to be part of this world. Um, he's recorded yeah. little videos and posted them on Twitter about how he couldn't believe it, you know, being brought into this audition and talking to Nina Gold about it and it being the opportunity of a lifetime and obviously he was a fan of it growing up so it's just really cool yeah I saw one of the videos of him and he literally looked like a kid on Christmas morning it was lovely he was so happy (laughs) right to move on we are going to talk quickly about the resistance teaser yeah would you like to talk through this Kirsty because you wrote the notes uh sure so well I know it's like first impressions (laughs) (laughs) Which, to me, I, I was, you know, I was impressed. My first impression was that I was impressed. Um, I really like mm-hmm. the look of this show. Obviously, the teaser doesn't give too much away, but it kind of sets up a little premise that Kaz is being drafted into the Resistance and given this secret mission as a spy, but also has this team where he's doing more official work. Um, and it looks like he has this cute little dynamic with Poe, who is voiced by Oscar. That was very recognisable. Yes. That's really cool to see. Um and I just really liked this animation style. Um, yeah. It just appeals to me more than the Rebels and Clone Wars style. Um, I know that won't be true for everyone, and I've already seen some criticism out there. But um, I've been watching the animated series Voltron recently, and it just kind of reminded mm-hmm. me of that a little bit. Yeah, no, I liked the animation style as well, to be honest. Uh, I was a bit surprised. It was different from what I was expecting. So I, f- I knew they were going to go for a more 2D cel-shaded animation look. Um, but I didn't realise quite how wildly different it would look from, say, Rebels and Clone Wars. Mm. But I think that's quite welcome, to be honest. It's nice to mix it up. And yeah, there's something very appealing about how bright it looks and about how clearly clearly delineated all the shapes and environments are. I do think like the ships look better than the people so far. 
but I think it will probably grow on me as I actually watch the episodes because yes I do plan to watch Resistance believe it or not um, I think it will grow on me as I get used to the characters and I start rooting for them and following their adventures you know it will become natural yeah and the animation style will evolve too like it will improve over time mm. that's kind of the nature of these I'm not an animation expert but I've seen a lot of people giving their impressions on Twitter and I'm not really sure what to think either way because I, I don't know what I'm talking about but um yeah uh, that's that's the thing it's like it's it's more about the story for me and I think it looks really cute um and yes it does look like it's more for children than adults but again this is Star Wars and that's okay <laughs> yeah it's amazing how some responses are like these people really don't understand that this is for children do they yeah it's on the Disney channel <laughs> I've seen some people say that well, if it were well, if it was for kids, why would it be on at 10 p.m.? And it's like, do you really think that modern kids are going to watch these shows when they go out on their scheduled time? They are going to be watching them on catch-up services. Yeah, that's not how anyone you know? watches TV these days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The only people who will be watching it when it goes out are the super hardcore Star Wars fans mm -hmm. who can just be relied on to watch whatever they put out with Star Wars on it. So that's why it's in that time slot, because they know they will at least have an audience for it as it goes out, even if that audience is small. The actual kid demographic that is aimed at, they will watch it the next morning. Yeah, and they'll probably... That's just going to be how it works. They probably will be showing it several times a day, too. I think they did the same with Rebels, so... I don't know. I just... Yeah, that's just how these things work. Yeah, it's really not a deal-breaker. Um, so, yeah, whatever. Some people are just... <laughs> determined to be negative about everything i guess um yeah <laughs> but yeah i'm excited for it I, it starts in october right mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah no so it'll be really cool and it'll be very nice to have some new star wars content to discuss again and i saw you've mentioned here kirsty that um the show will feature leia yes so she wasn't in the teaser um we got uh, glimpses of a lot of the new characters aside from poe and phasma obviously um but anthony mm -hmm. bresnikan at ew confirmed that leia will be in the show voiced by rachel butera um so that's really exciting that is really nice is there any word on whether hux will be in it uh not officially yet but i have my suspicions that hux and kylo will show up eventually <laughs> yeah i can see them doing that as some kind of like season cliffhanger to get people excited especially with kylo mm -hmm. yeah i mean we'll we'll see but that yeah that's the kind of thing that they're not going to announce right so um yeah but yeah it hucks even more so to be honest because you can imagine a funny dynamic like going out between him and phasma or like as as kaz is doing his secret missions you know if he's infiltrating the first order at some level like there has to be a danger presented right so yeah they could do like a secret mission where he has to infiltrate the first order officers' quarters, and he passes like Hux's room, but like Hux is doing his aerobics workout, and it would be hilarious. Oh, you mean the Lego one? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Not sure how canon that is, but they maybe could they could bring it in via Resistance. <laughs> what What do you mean, Kirsty? It's like a hundred percent canon. It's like A class canon. Definitely. Him in his pink workout <laughs> outfit. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> chilling with an ice cream afterwards yeah listening to taylor swift mm -hmm. <laughs> i also wanted to know how amazing everyone's hair looks in this teaser yes that's such a good point yeah, as we know that star wars is about hair yeah i think especially the sequel trilogy to be honest 
I think hair has become a more prominent theme. Maybe. I, I just think everyone, especially the Skywalker's hair, let's be honest, like Skywalker solos and, and Padme. Oh yeah, that's true. Padme had beautiful hair. And Anakin, come on. Yeah. <sighs> I, Anakin's is fine. What? It did look a little bit ratty to me sometimes. In Revenge of the Sith? Yeah, oh my God. a little. Like, sorry, am I speaking sacrilege? To me, yes. <laughs> I will let it go. It must be treason then. <laughs> we can all have different hair opinions. <laughs> uh, I thank you for your boundless mercy. <laughs> but yeah, everyone oh looks amazing. I really love these character designs. So Yeah, they do. The character designs are really nice. Like I think when I first saw Kaz, I was afraid that he was just going to be Ezra 2.0. No. Now I've seen him in motion. He definitely seems quite distinct yeah, that's and very thing. much his own I'm, type of I thing. I kind of wish we hadn't got that leaked blurry picture because that's what everyone was thinking, right? Oh, it just kind of looks like Ezra, but it was too far away to tell. And then I wish yes. this had been our first impression. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a little lesson for me not to always look at leaks. Yeah, exactly. They don't always bring good things. Mm. Right, then the next thing that we want to talk about quickly is that Kelly Marie Tran has done an op-ed piece for the New York Times. Um, it's titled, I won't be marginalised by online harassment. I'm not going to read it out in full here because like, the whole article is just so eloquent. And yeah, so please, please just go and read it. I'll include a link to it in the show notes. So then there is no excuse. But it's just really beautifully written and powerful. And yeah, it, it really hits home. And it's basically like a really like cathartic piece of writing, it feels like. Because, yeah, it really goes into the state of mind that all those awful comments on her Instagram put her in. And it makes it crystal, crystal clear why she left social media. Because there were some people doubting it and suggesting that she may have had other reasons beyond fan harassment. But this makes it 100% clear that it was all about that racism and that those cruel comments people were leaving. Yeah, I'm really glad that this was put out. And like you say, I think there were a lot of people who were well-meaning even. Not everyone, but some people were well-meaning in saying, oh, maybe that wasn't why she left. Like maybe trying to give fandom the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Maybe these people weren't following Kelly and weren't kind of seeing these comments constantly, but it really was under every single thing she posted. Really disgusting comments that I wouldn't want to repeat. Um, yeah. And I'm really glad that she took the time to put this out. It wasn't like this quick reaction um, just to kind of... It, it seems like this is something that she's wanting to put out as a result of her own journey as opposed to just like trying to appease the the fans or something it's like for herself and for the women of color who look up to her in fandom as well because i've seen so yeah. many people saying this has made them extremely emotional you know this hits home for them um this yeah. idea of internalizing what a white supremacist racist society tells you about your looks and what you have mm. to offer a world and yeah the fact that she's she says like i started to internalize that feeling of shame um, yeah. and that was why I left and she deserves to feel beautiful she is beautiful and she's so much more yeah. and I'm really glad that she was able to put this out yeah and I think what really moves me about this is how defiant it is and how it's all about no you're not going to silence me and no you're not going to make me feel this way I'm not going to let you like I find that so like powerful like it's not coming out just 
like saying this is how terrible this made me feel is also about saying this is the shittiness I've been through and then this is the world I want this is the good thing that I want to aspire towards and want to work towards because yeah like she ends with I'm just getting started Mm -hmm. and I can't wait to see what Kelly does next because yeah like her Instagram posts when she was on Instagram she was posting such awesome things she was posting lots of like great things about like self-love and like like embracing yourself and like you know like no makeup posts and stuff like and about like stressing how silly some of those social media shenanigans are because of course when people do no makeup selfies on instagram often they're anything but and they're carefully made up and it must take hours to put it all on and she was completely honest and upfront about all those things and i really miss that when she left instagram and so it's really nice to see that yeah kelly hasn't really gone anywhere she needed time to think about things and presumably to craft this and really process all those feelings and think about what she wanted to say but yeah i'm so happy to hear her voice again me too and i don't know whether she would ever return to social media or not like i wouldn't blame her if she didn't but you're right that it is yeah. a, it's a loss for us as fans that she decided to leave because these people pushed her away but Mm. her health takes priority like it does absolutely Um, yeah but it was a loss because her posts were so uplifting and inspirational and she was honest um so yeah like you i am excited to see what she does next i don't know if you've seen um ew recently posted some photos with um her and elizabeth olsen they're in that new series sorry for your loss Yes, I saw them briefly, yeah. yeah. And I really like, obviously I love Kelly, and I also love Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah. I saw her recently in, she was in Ingrid Goes West, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like, amazing in that. So yeah, like, I need to check that show out. I'm not sure how, when, if it's airing in the UK, I but I'll try and find it. it's going to be on Facebook. I'm not really sure how that oh, works. Oh, really? Yeah, but that's, wow. that's what I saw in that article. Um, okay. Yeah. That's very intriguing. Yeah, and... Obviously, we don't have any details yet on Kelly in episode nine, but we know she's going to be mm-hmm. in it. And I really, really hope fandom turns out in support um, because I'm honestly, I'm so tired of seeing people posting support of her, but then with the caveat that, oh, yeah, well, I hated Rose. It's like, I'm sorry, but yeah. we just don't care. That's so beside the point. Yes. I just <laughs> and it's like it's not the time or the place. Yeah, read it's the room, like please. why are you doing that? <laughs> it's like God. Yeah, I mean, I would say I don't understand why people didn't like Rose, but actually, I do understand, and I do think a lot of it is rooted in racism, or at least people's stereotypical perceptions of what a character like Rose, played by Kelly, should have been. Um, yeah, because we're going to go into it later. But in the director and the Jedi, Ryan, he talks about how when he was writing Rose. He wrote her as someone who you wouldn't expect to see in a Star Wars movie. And he wanted someone like Kelly to play her. So I think all of that is wrapped up and people get that there is this conflation because what she brought to the story wasn't really what people might have expected. Um, Yes. So it can have racist undertones and sexist undertones, whether people realise that or not. Yeah. No, so for a lot of people, like you say, I don't even think it's particularly like conscious which is why I think stuff like this piece from Kelly is so important because she like talks about examples of how other people have made her feel so othered and so different just because of how she looks. 
And the way she puts it is clear that those people were presumably talking from a place of complete ignorance, but that doesn't make it okay. And there kind of needs to be this responsibility people take on for themselves to like learn and try and be more sensitive and more like open in terms of the way they interact with the world and interact with other people yeah i hope that this like reading this maybe makes some people realize it won't make everyone realize because who are we kidding this is the internet and people can be awful um (laughs) yeah because people can be awful in real life and the internet is real life um but people hide behind those avatars and think that they can say whatever they like with no consequence and real people are more important than your perception of a movie or a character yeah so i i hope people can realize that yeah no so it's a very powerful piece and again i'll link to it in the show notes so please do go and read it right with that all covered i think it's time to move into our spotlight which is a listener's choice because it was voted on by our dear listeners so yeah if you do not follow us on twitter that is the place to be because kirsty put up a poll and a discussion of the director and the jedi was the clear winner Mm -hmm. for the topic people wanted us to cover next we did get comments from people saying i hope that you'll discuss the other ones and we probably will get to them in time it's just we wanted to do a fun thing where people chose the next episode yeah exactly power to the people and all that (laughs) yeah no so we have both rewatched this documentary in preparation for this and yeah i found it delightful it was so nice to watch it again um i doubt we're going to cover this in the actual proper in-depth discussion of the documentary so i just wanted to mention it now but i love seeing drunk kathleen kennedy oh my god it's amazing she's (laughs) i I feel like she's slightly sourced yeah (laughs) yeah it's so great it's a celebration they're at a rap party so you know it makes sense no judgment yeah, she's literally like, yeah, Ryan, <laughs> I love you, Ryan, man. You're the best director I've ever worked with. Yeah. Obviously, it's not quite that, but it's just amazing and I love it. it. Awesome. <laughs> it's like, you go, girl, you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, the feeling of relief they must get to at the end of a production like that is like, oh my God, let's celebrate. Yeah. So. And my other favourite Kathleen Kennedy moment is where they're like filming Ryan and Co. like in a meeting, yeah. and then Kathleen Kennedy's just like knocks on the doors and it's like, "Hey guys, well, I wondered if you wanted to see the posters." And then she sees the people filming the documentary. She's like, "Oh, oh you!" <laughs> yeah, she doesn't realise they're there at first, and she has a cute little smile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so amazing! Like it was so good. Um, but yeah, I think we have split this into a series of themes because that is probably the best place to approach this from rather than just going like <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy came to the door and she had this funny smile on her face. Um, so we're going to approach this in a somewhat more serious and grown up way um, while still being fun, hopefully, because that's what we always endeavour towards. Um, Yeah, and the first big theme we were going to talk about was how the documentary really concentrates on that relationship between Mark and Ryan and really explores like the reasons that Ryan had for portraying Luke's journey in the way that he did and the reservations Mark had about Ryan's choices. And yeah, it's all really interesting stuff. Do you want to talk a bit about that, Kirsty? Yeah. Um, oh, just before I get started on that, like I totally agree with you. I think that this documentary is amazing and really mm. rewatchable. Like, I feel like I've watched it five or six times at this point and I still feel like I'm getting something out of it every time. It's so rich, yeah. there's so much going on. And kind of because of that, I think 
we might have a hard time talking about it or at least making sure that we refer to everything we want to refer to. I'm sure I'll get to the end and wish that I'd mentioned something or other because there are so many cute little details and interactions between the cast and crew that are just like, oh, that's just really sweet to see. Um, And it really enriches your understanding of the movie. And I feel like that's that's probably important for a lot of people. Um, I, I know that Luke's role in the movie has been controversial and obviously it was controversial to mark as well so that's kind of the premise of the central dynamic of the documentary like you say it's the director and the jedi so it kind of charts mark's evolution in terms of understanding what ryan was going for ryan trying to put that forward um but not being too prescriptive because Mm. he seems to understand where mark's coming from and by proxy he understands why some fans wouldn't love the idea too of Luke first being reluctant to take the saber back and throwing it away and and then being reluctant to train Rey and kind of giving up on the world and kind of being coded in this depressing way, right? That he's given up. Um, he doesn't think yeah. that he has anything to offer anymore. And then the arc of coming back and actually sacrificing himself and dying, which um, Ryan explicitly says he thinks that Mark wasn't happy about that. He didn't want Luke to die. Um, yeah. So there's a lot going on there, and it really paints this rich picture of it's quite complicated because Mark can say, um, I fundamentally disagreed with everything he conceived of for this character. But then mm. he also turns around and says, You know, now having said that, I'll do everything in my power to realize your vision because it's not my character yeah. to decide it belongs to other people they just rent it out to me so yeah i really appreciate that because it it's honest in its portrayal of that complexity that he can say look i i disagree this wasn't really where i pictured my character 30 years later but mm. you're the creator and i respect that and i'm gonna do my best to uphold what you're writing for him and he gave this amazing performance yeah, I really appreciated that as well. And I also liked that they avoided doing a thing where they kind of had it as like a turnaround story, you know, so that, well, maybe Mark started out like fundamentally disagreeing with Ryan and disliking his ideas, but then he came around and he absolutely loved it and he was like fully on board and he loved his ideas, you know, so I don't think it was presented in that way because while it did ultimately show Mark being supportive of Ryan and wanting to do whatever he could to fulfill Ryan's vision and respect that that was the direction he'd chosen for the story. I don't think Mark ever really goes like 180 on the position he started out from. Yeah. Does that, do you agree with that? No, definitely. Because there's been a lot of this idea in fandom and I think Mark Hamill's had to address it himself on social media to be like, hey, no one's making me say any of these things. If I, if Mm. I, you know say my position did soften even though i didn't fully align with it that's not him with a gun to his head from disney um yeah mouth exactly him say those things it's that he <laughs> he did change his mind to an extent but yeah it wasn't this like fairy tale thing where he turned around and goes oh you know what this is what i think because he's allowed to have his own opinion because at the end of the day they're just doing a job like the, yeah, you know, of course. the character does mean a lot to him and he knows how much it means to the audience but I think also Mark's heard a lot from fans who say that Luke's arc in The Last Jedi actually means a great deal to them. Yeah. So you're never going to please everyone. And I think they all just recognize that and they're adults about it and respect what Ryan was trying to say because 
you really get this impression throughout the documentary and I think Carrie summed it up quite well as well when she's talking about him that he's not I think she says like she starts out by saying that he's an asshole um <laughs> yes that was amazing that was one of the best parts that, that he has a strong vision um but he doesn't yes. come across like strong in like oh no you will do it this way he works with them and he's collaborative but at the end of the day he wrote the story because he had something to say yeah of course so it's finding that balance and i think it does it really well yeah no it was very effectively done like like I, there were some really like great moments in the documentary really illustrating like how far mark went in terms of the emotional investment he gave to the portrayal of luke in the movie like i think everyone who's seen it will know what we're talking about with this but it's particularly the behind the scenes where they're showing mark filming the destruction of the temple yeah. and they have him just like folding over with like r2 next to him and how like he just remains folded over even after they've called cut mm-hmm. and Ryan goes over to try and comfort him and Mark still doesn't really like respond or move <laughs> he's just like so in that headspace that he just isn't coming out of it you know and that felt so intense and it's like wow he really did deliver on what he said he was going to yeah when they're showing that moment being filmed um mark's talking over the top of it and he says my character always represented hope and optimism and now here i am very pessimistic disillusioned and sort of demoralized Mm. um which is right but um yeah 30 years had passed so it's kind of like him coming to recognize that and almost going through the same mark that Luke does. Um, that I, mean, I think Ram says it like at a different point. He says he's not the Luke Skywalker of this trilogy. He's the Obi. Um, so yeah. it's kind of just coming to terms with that. Because the documentary, and obviously it's just recording what the, uh, the people themselves are saying. So at the beginning, Ryan positions himself and Ram as the clear newbies like they're the outsiders to lucasfilm to star wars they're new they're fans but they they weren't veterans within um this franchise um and he says i imagine that ram and i would be outsiders that we would be somehow infiltrating this world that we don't belong in um and he Mm. identifies as a fan saying the only thing i'd want is a really good movie that delights me in ways i didn't expect and kind of contrasting with that you get these clips of mark walking around set like saying hello to the cast and crew, like looking very comfortable and excited to be back and oh, joking around like, oh yes, you might recognize me. I'm tangentially related to this production. Um, yeah. And so he's Luke Skywalker, like the Luke Skywalker. So it kind of sets up this really interesting narrative between the two that he kind of got this old yeah. and the new, which obviously The Last Jedi does itself to an extent. Yeah, so I found that with um, Mark and also Carrie, to be honest, um, they have this, like obviously had in Paul Carrie's case, um, they have this kind of persona where it's sort of split of necessity, I think. And I'm sure this is probably the case for many, many famous people. But I think there's Mark Hamill, the really like charismatic, fun, buoyant guy who is just really sunny and optimistic and positive about everything. But then you also have a much more like introspective Mark Hamill, who probably can really relate quite intensely with all those dilemmas that Luke has been going through, to be honest. 
like the disillusionment and the sense of things not panning out as you hoped they would and yeah like all those like feelings that I guess middle age brings <laughs> you know just like like the real realities of life and things going horribly wrong like hitting you and I think that will take you to like a very dark place if you really commit to that and I think that's why you see that contrast between that bubbly Mark who's all like positive and bright and smiley with the crew and then the Mark who's just all doubled over as he's in character as Luke filming a scene because he really kept to his word and did give it everything and is probably able to draw upon some of the like most dark, rawest aspects of himself to channel into that performance. So like, I know this is a slight tangent, but just to mention it, I was reading an interview with Carrie as part of my research for my other project that shall not be named. And they were like interviewing her and one moment she was all like sunny and bright about how she was like this action figure and how she was on all this merchandise and just talking about how crazy and wild it is that there's all this stuff of her likeness. And then the guy doing the interview asked her, how does that make you feel? And in the interview is written, the colour drained from her face and then hopeless. And that was her response. I know that got very dark. Yeah, but I think it's... It's honestly, like, amazing that they even show these moments of honesty to us because we don't deserve them as fans. We don't deserve to see them as real people, like, behind whatever they decide to show us. Um, That's private, and if they want to share it with us, it paints this more complicated picture. And I think they're honestly quite brave for sharing it because people can be like, oh, well, you should feel grateful because this gave you your career and... You know, you, you've built a livelihood off it and you have lots of money now and everything. And of course, everyone would envy you to be someone with action figures of your own likeness and stuff like that. So I think it's mm-hmm. hard for people to understand that there can be quite complicated, seemingly contradictory feelings about it. Yeah. Because, you know, you get a lot of like, well, if Mark Hamill was so unhappy with it, why did he come back? And why would he be in episode nine? And it's like, he can feel more than one way. <laughs> yeah exactly it's like people are complicated guys <laughs> yeah and i think that's what this documentary does really well it it shows both sides to it um and and you get that with ryan too because you get these moments where he's talking with ram and obviously they know that they're mic'd up so it's not like you're yes. really um infringing on a private conversation but they're still having these moments of honesty and he's saying i'm not sure this sequence works i think i'm gonna have to rewrite it it doesn't really make sense um yeah or you know he says he says to the the camera like i'm i'm not sure this thing is going to work out um not sure we can stick to the schedule and things like that and they do work out because we saw the finished product and he made changes where he obviously saw fit but you get that kind of um contrasted with a lot of the cast and crew talking about how like i said how strong his vision is how much he knows what he wants and he's going for it and how even though it's yeah. this group collaborative effort, because you see all of these people from the various departments talking to him and working on things and you know, daring to share their opinion, um, it's ultimately mm. like, it's it's both, you know? That he can have these moments of doubt yeah. and still know what he wants. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. And yeah, that's a good point actually about how the documentary shows all these facets of the people involved that could be seen as contradictory somehow, 
but it just shows that they're part of what make a whole person like it's natural to have doubts and to question yourself even as you're very confident about what you're doing and in a way it would be much more worrying if you didn't have doubts you know like if you were so confident in your vision that it was flawless and immutable and not to be changed because there's a difference between having a strong vision and having a rigid vision that won't change because yeah the latter is not good yeah another thing that i like about it is that ryan he explains what he was doing but he doesn't over explain it like especially with luke because he has to address what mark and fans presumably even though he doesn't know at that point what the reaction is going to be um he says, in my mind, Luke's big thing in this movie is taking on that mantle of a symbol of hope and inspiring a whole new generation. He genuinely believes mm. the light needs to find another hero. I wanted Luke's death yeah. to be on Luke's terms. I wanted it to be peaceful, to feel like a victory. So he sets it out, and that's obviously evident in the story itself, um, but he he doesn't really feel the need to justify it over and over again. And I know that he's been asked about it in interviews since the movie came out, but it's not... I don't know it's just something like you should be able to tell what he wanted from the story from the story itself and why he wanted to do yeah. that and at a certain point if someone doesn't understand that or doesn't agree with it there's not much more he can say to change their mind he can just put forward yeah. what he believed in and it's something that resonated with us and we liked it and it was kind of in line with what we'd anticipated from the movie um yeah but at the end of the day he stands by it and i think he said in interviews the things that are heavily criticized the most are the things that i'm actually most proud of and i think that's got to include luke's story so yeah yeah no that's definitely true like i i don't mean this to sound like a boast at all but i go to quite a few directors q a's and a pattern i've noticed coming out of those q a's is that a lot of directors absolutely hate having to talk about what they intended by things and the meaning that people are meant to take away from their films, especially like integral parts, you know, like endings and stuff. I've got into trouble at Q&As before for asking about an ending. <laughs> um, and I imagine that Ryan, even though he's given quite a lot here, to be honest, in terms of his intentions for particular scenes and his thought process and what he was trying to convey, I, I think Ryan would probably also be of the opinion that it's most important what you get out of it. And that even if that isn't necessarily a positive impression, like, I'm still happy that I was able to make you feel feel something. And I'm still happy that I was able to provoke such a strong response. I, I obviously, I think he would prefer for people to be made happy by it and delighted by it and left with the sense of hope that he intended. But I think the main point of any of this is just to provoke people and to engage people and to get them thinking and that's absolutely what he did do especially with all the luke stuff because yeah it's proven so controversial and such a hot button topic yeah and i think the reality as well is that even with a documentary like this there's so much left unsaid in terms of hey this is just the second chapter <laughs> there's one more yeah. to follow at least so um you know they're, they're talking about how this is the end for luke and how he wanted that beautiful ending for luke on his terms but obviously at yes. this point we already know that luke is returning in episode nine so mm. it, it's not the end it's just an end that ryan wanted for this particular chapter um and yeah. it rounds things off beautifully so that it doesn't end on such a cliffhanger at least in not every single way um 
there's like yes. a resolution but you also know that there's unfinished business because he says see you around kid right um yeah so it's it's finding that balance again yeah definitely i also liked um the stuff that the documentary offered in terms of the rain luke dynamic mm. i thought that was really interesting and again it showed that generational struggle quite well because obviously that's text in the film like that just comes through in that you see these contrasting perspectives because Ray is now the youthful optimistic one she's the one who's full of hope and belief in this legend that Luke has basically given up on whereas Luke is weary and disillusioned um, again tying back to that whole idea that Luke is now the Obi-Wan of this story and Ray is like the Luke figure and yeah, I, I found the quote where Ryan describes like that relationship and like how that functions quite interesting. So I'll read. Ray shows up to the island with a set of expectations, saying, I need someone to show me my place in all this. And that's what she's trying to find. And she doesn't know what that's going to be yet. So Luke slamming the door in the face seemed like the most obvious thing in the world to throw a bucket of cold water on her head. There are folks in your life that you expect to fulfill a certain thing. And as we grow up, we realise that doesn't always happen. Yeah, because reading that and obviously watching it in the documentary, it kind of reminded me of how much the whole Ray and Luke thing is a bit like when you grow up and you realise your parents aren't these like infallible godlike beings mm -hmm. for the first time. Because yeah. when you're a small child, you trust in your parents quite absolutely. You know, you think that they know everything. You think that they're like going to be reliable and that they're going to just solve everything. But then there reaches a certain point in your life, whether it's earlier in your childhood or in your teens or whatever, when the reality of that comes crashing down. And you're like, holy shit, these are flawed people and they often don't know what they're doing. And I think that's the journey Ray goes through in this, which is why it's such a classic adolescent journey albeit on a very heightened scale. So obviously we were talking in space with like monsters and laser swords and all those wonderful things that Star Wars brings. But yeah, I found that really effective and I think everyone can relate to that when you view it through that lens. So yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I appreciate Ryan talking about that in the documentary as well because so much of what... All this discussion around Luke's arc in The Last Jedi which I appreciate that people need, especially people who consider themselves primarily fans of Luke and of the original trilogy. So much of what's mm. missing is the understanding of why he had to be that way in Ray's story. Yes. You know, like, you see a lot of it, there's talk about Luke's story and all the emphasis on him, and it's like, well, the reason that we were able to anticipate where that was going was because we were looking at it through the lens of Ray's heroine journey and what Luke's role would have to be in that you know he's the powerless father that that mentor yeah. figure that's going to fail her um so yeah and how that fits in with Ray's expectations for Kylo as well so I I yeah. appreciate Ryan bringing that up because even though this is called the director and the Jedi so much there is about how Luke matters to Ray and what yes. his arc is able to do for her arc um which, yeah, seems to be missing from a lot of the fandom discourse, I find. Um, yeah. Because obviously no. Luke lets her down and then she goes to Kylo and he lets her down. So then she's like, okay, I need to do things for myself. And, and that's her arc and it's amazing to watch. 
Yeah. And it's also very new to Star Wars, which I appreciated. Because you do obviously get that sense to some degree of being let down by past generations. But it's never in the same way. Because when Luke went to Vader in Empire Strikes Back, he wasn't expecting to find like a mentor who would like teach him things. He was expecting to find a villain who would like strike him down and kill his friends if he didn't fight him. So while it was obviously crushing and devastating to hear, no, I am your father, that's not the same as Rey being disillusioned by Luke because that's coming from it really from the opposite perspective because Luke went in with the worst expectations and then she found out some then he found out something that muddied that understanding whereas Ray went in with the best of expectations expecting Luke to be this like golden hero and then she gradually became more and more disillusioned until she realized she had to go in a different direction and look for something else and that's just such a new type of narrative for Star Wars and I loved it and found it so interesting. Yeah, I mean the inclusion of the line when they're shown in the editing room after they've filmed that fight sequence you get them like taking the footage back up to Pinewood and and Ryan's talking about how he needs to edit as they're going along which is pretty new for him but they're on a time crunch. Um, so they're, they're going over that footage that they filmed for the fight scene and there's a cut line from Luke that's you opened yourself to the dark side for a pair of pretty eyes which <laughs> you know they've obviously cut because well from my perspective it's probably just too much on the nose in terms of so they're defining yeah. what that dynamic is supposed to be it's very papa don't preach um yes but maybe that's what some people needed i don't know <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's not in the film but i appreciate them putting it in in here because you know, as part of the editing, you can kind of have your cake and eat it too there. You can say, like, this was there in the script, um, but then as we were editing it, we decided we didn't need it. No, definitely. Yeah, so I think we should probably come to the end of the discussion of the um, Ryan and Mark stuff, because I think we've talked plenty about that now. I think just to close off, I'd say that I definitely feel like this documentary was kind of intended as a sort of therapy session (laughs) for people who they knew were going to have serious problems with Luke's depiction of with Luke's depiction in the movie. Because if I have any criticism of the documentary at all, it's that it focused so much on Mark and Luke and all those aspects of character and theme and everything that it didn't really go into the other characters at all. There was obviously some acknowledgement of them, but they weren't explored in any depth. And because I really love all the new characters that came with the sequel trilogy, I did miss out on that a bit. But yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, you get a decent amount of Ray because obviously Ray and Luke have a very important dynamic and that's crucial for Luke's arc. But you miss out on a lot. Like, There's very little of Finn and Rose, of Poe. You don't really get Oscar speaking. I think there's one instance of him talking with Ryan and it's more about how Ryan's feeling about the story. Yeah. I think John is probably the only younger actor who is like interviewed for the documentary, it seems like, because you actually see him talking to the camera um, while he's sat mm. down. You don't really get that with any of the other characters. I don't think we hear Adam speak. You definitely don't hear Adam speak. You do hear Daisy speak. Yeah. She's interviewed on camera for it. But not much, just a little. Yeah, a lot of it just seems to be like, as they're on set, she's talking. But John, when you see him, like he's in 
his own clothes and just looks a bit more casual. Um, and I, I yeah. kind of hoped for more of that from all of them. And we don't really get anything yeah. from Kelly either, so. Yeah, what I really hope is that by the time episode 9 comes around, they're going to be much more open about all the new elements of the story. And that we will get a really comprehensive documentary looking at everything and really examining the new characters and their journeys. Because mm. that's what I feel we haven't got so far. Like, so I do think this documentary is fantastic for what it is. It's just that because the focus was so overwhelmingly on Luke and Mark, like I did feel it was missing some of my favourite aspects of the movie and didn't really go into some of the topics I most wanted to see explored. Yeah, and we kind of get that summed up with uh, that little bit. It's really adorable when Ryan tells Mark the title of the movie. So it's, it's just the two of them and he's like, oh, you can't tell anyone, even your wife, but it says it's the last jedi and mark's like oh wow that means me <laughs> and it's Aww. like yeah it does uh so yeah like I, you know i i've said it a million times i really love luke in the last jedi but he's not the central character um yes and that's not even like from my perspective it's just a fact um so yeah to to your point this documentary while it's not really setting out to change anyone's mind and you feel how you feel and i'm sure ryan respects that um, it is kind of like working through it a little bit by proxy with with Mark's understanding of what was going on. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would expect like you that by the end of episode nine, if we get something similar to this, I don't know if JJ would want to do something in that as in depth, but maybe he will because it's the end of the trilogy. Um, that we'd have something mm. that does focus more on Ray, Kylo, Poe, Rose, Finn. You know. So we'll yeah. See. I think what I really want is like a no holds barred documentary like 15 to 20 years from now where it actually gets honest about stuff like what happened with Colin Trevorrow and that sort of thing because there's obviously no way they're going to do it that like in the Blu-ray for episode 9 you know that's like a fantasy (laughs) Um, but it's possible that when more time has passed they will go into those kinds of more contentious subjects and i would certainly love to see that it's possible i suppose at the end of the day it kind of depends on whether they think there's enough market interest for it they're not going to release it unless they actually think people will pay for it um so. yeah oh it's star wars there's always interest <laughs> well, yeah but at a certain point it's like if they can hide the dirty laundry is there a reason to air it um like they haven't really done that so far with any of the the rogue one or solo stuff because the only thing we've got from rogue one in terms of like the actual juicy honest perception was that interview that tony gilroy did and i i'm not sure that was really approved <laughs> by lucas <Lucasfilm. laughs> that's just him going out there now and being like because he doesn't care he's not a star wars fan you know he has yeah. no reverence for the the franchise he just wanted to make a war movie so yeah no it makes complete sense um right so i think we should probably move on now to just discuss some of the other aspects of the documentary so the first thing just to touch on really briefly is that Ryan and Ram, so Ram Bergman, his producer, they seem like such bros. It was such a nice relationship. It is really lovely to see. You can d- Obviously, we know that they've worked on, I think, all of Ryan's film projects so far, maybe? Um, at least yes. a good few of them. So um, they have a really close working relationship. They just seem to know each other really well. And Ram is very much like, I'm here to support you. And I'm also here to kind of protect you from a lot of the financial concerns because i think um rick heinrich when he's talking about like the sheer amount of sets in ryan's script he's like 
there are a lot of them and directors don't realize that when they're writing scripts because that shouldn't be their concern it's our concern to kind of figure out how to do that on the budget that we have afterwards but they're creative and then we're just helping them execute on their vision and i think that's kind of how ram sees his role too so yeah you get these really cute interactions between them where they're talking about like how many days they have left like just really practical concerns that ram's then like you don't have to worry about that it's okay yeah it's so sweet and um i actually found the documentary did a really good job of distinguishing the role of the director from the role of the producer Mm -hmm. because so often that's really fuzzy and of course it will vary depending on the project it's not like there's a hard and fast rule in terms of who does what but i think they clearly showed how the responsibilities were divided at least in the case of the last jedi between ryan and ram and i was like oh that's how it works so yeah, it was very educational for me. Yeah, and I think Ram probably has some creative input in that Ryan might ask his opinion on things, but that's not yes. his primary purpose. He's there to help Ryan execute the vision um, and keep the ball rolling with all of these different departments because we're such a huge project. You know, you see it with like coordinating the actor schedules, coordinating with the creature stuff like ILM, like everything. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> So I can see how that would easily get overwhelming for a director, but, you know, the producer steps in and if they're good, good at their job, it, it shouldn't be such a worry. Um, he should be able to focus on the creative aspects. Yeah. You know that birthday party they showed in the documentary? Was that for Ryan and Ram? Was it a joint birthday yeah, party? Yeah, the same birthday, I think. Yeah, like that was so amazing. It was so beautiful seeing Ryan just gleefully go onto the bouncy castle like the big child he is. I was like, oh, I love you, Ryan. I feel this on a deep spiritual level. <laughs> Did you see that they had Vader and Kylo Ren pinatas? <laughs> this time, actually, I think I was watching it for friends. So I wasn't able to focus as much as I liked. I noticed the Vader pinata. I did not notice the Kylo oh, I one. think they show them in separate shots. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It, sh- it shows the generations. <laughs> very sweet. I hope it doesn't mean that Ryan secretly wants to bash Kylo's head in. (laughs) It's obviously what they're getting at. Yeah, that's clearly going to be how episode nine ends. (laughs) Definitely. Oh, man. Tragic. Um, Yeah. So then the next thing to talk about is, of course, there is a very large emphasis in the documentary on the creatures and the amazing work of Neil Scanlon and his team. And yeah, it's fabulous. It's such a marvelous menagerie of like creatures and designs. It's fantastic. Um, did you have a favorite design or a favorite like, aspect of seeing the creature shop at work in this documentary? I definitely have one, and I want to hear what yours is. Um, mine has to be the Talus Iron, just because I find all of the discussion around it and the logistics so funny. <laughs> and I love that scene in the actual movie, but just this documentary takes it to a whole new level because you just have Neil Scanlon being like look I get it you want to be on location but is it really worth the extra money and Ryan's like yeah (laughs) totally are you kidding (laughs) and then by the end they have them actually helicoptering this you know remember when (laughs) remember when we were following the leaks we'd get like that weird chicken monster because (laughs) Yes. The photos. Oh, that's the thing. That's what makes it so wonderful for me. So I watch that and I just get so nostalgic yeah. for all the leaks for The Last Jedi. For people <laughs> who weren't memories. following, and maybe you've gone back into our older episodes, I don't know. Not many people would bother doing that and I don't blame you. But 
when the leaks were happening it was like what the hell is this big lumpy mess on the island that they bothered to helicopter in and then there were all these rumors about oh ray is gonna fight a sea monster so maybe that's it it like comes out onto the land and she's fighting him and it just turned out that it was this creature that luke was milking and, and drinking the milk with coconut water so it's it's a work of art and so i find it just incredible like it's it's my husband's favorite part of the documentary as well like every time we watch it he's like i just can't believe that they felt the need to take this to location and have a real creature like they you know the the level of detail is just amazing and you can see mark yeah. milking it obviously it's the the coconut water um i, I think he's explained that's what it is on twitter but it's white <laughs> when it comes out and they make it green in post-production and he's drinking it and he thinks it tastes pretty good and just <laughs> the level of commitment is just amazing i love it and i want i would love to know how much it costs them because obviously neil is talking he's like you know how can i trick ryan into thinking he's still getting what he asked for but in fact it doesn't quite cost that much money but he doesn't <laughs> want to cut corners here it's very important to him that they take it and make it real and it was all worth it yeah I found it so funny because they made a point of showing how they had the set with the burning tree and they had scouted a location for that in Iceland. Mm. But they were like, ah, it's too expensive, we'll do it here. And so, of course, they used Longcross, which, again, we know from the leak era because some people broke into that set and took pictures of absolutely everything. It was hilarious. And then there were theories about how Kylo was going to burn the tree. Yeah, exactly. So there was all kinds of stuff going on. But yeah, it's so funny to me that Ryan would happily compromise on that set when that's the set for a very pivotal scene with Yoda and like it's like a real turning point for Luke and everything. He, he would compromise on that. He would not <laughs> compromise on the titty monster. <laughs> I love it. It's beautiful. Me too. I mean, to be fair, they only took one and they actually CG in the rest of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to fix that. <laughs> you only see one when they go actually go to location, but still. Um, yes. <laughs> I think their justification for having that other scene at Long Cross is that it would be too much faff to get Frank Oz out there on location and then actually puppeteering for Yoda, but it's kind of weak sauce. It's like, if you really wanted to, you probably could have done it. But then maybe it is like a, you know, you have a certain amount of budget and if you want to do this, then you can't do this. So um, they've just got to make yeah. it as, as good as they can. And that set at Long Cross really is amazing too. It's not like it looks fake or anything you know they really did build that tree they really did burn it down yeah no it looked amazing yeah it's powerful watching that behind the scenes too so yeah no it looked incredible can i say what my favorite creature Absolutely. was now it was the um crystal fox when it was an actual dog in the costume <laughs> yeah that's really sweet <laughs> and it was just running around all like woof, woof, i'm a dog i'm a dog i don't know what i'm doing woof, woof, woof yeah it was so amazing i do love those foxes they're so elegant and beautiful and so perfect for that landscape like i you know i i love the force awakens don't get me wrong and i'm i know we've got this theme lately of like choosing between them but um <laughs> i'm so much more impressed with the creature work for um the last jedi and i think neil said like it's bigger than rogue one and force awakens put together so yeah. Ryan must be an animal lover because they have so many different kinds of creatures and they really feed into the different plots of the movie and like um like they're important to the characters like Rose seeing and riding a Favia is important and we know from extra material that Paige 
desperately wanted to see a Favia in person as well. And the planet they come from doesn't have any wildlife on it. So they dreamed yeah. of seeing animals and they hadn't seen any until they joined the resistance. So obviously you have to read that extra material to get that. But even just seeing Rose's reaction, like it's clear that she adores them. Yeah, no, it's lovely. I, like, didn't Ryan say he loved Pokemon? Did he? Like, I think in so. In the documentary? No, not in the documentary, oh. but at some point, like, it, maybe it was one of the actors, I don't know. But Pokemon in relation to Star Wars was brought up. Because seriously, some of the creatures, especially those crystal foxes, are basically Pokemon. Oh, yeah, definitely. You but know, that, you could they, catch that thing in a Pokeball. Aren't they called Vulpex? Isn't that pretty close to Vulpix? Yeah, exactly. Vulpex, like, is even more cute, I must say. Like, if you don't know Pokemon, Vulpex is, like, red, and there's these adorable ribbons of hair, and these big glassy eyes that just look the cutest, so Vulpex is awesome. But the Vulpex is also great. It's just slightly, like, fiercer looking. Mm -hmm. It's more badass. And, of course, the Porgs. Like towards, yes, of course. towards the end, they show uh, Daisy filming on location, the part where she goes and retrieves the saber after Luke's thrown it. So she's like on that cliff edge and they brought in the porgs to interact with the saber before she grabs it and they fly away. Um, yeah. And it's just really cute to see the porg puppets on location. Oh, it is. They were adorable. And I also love seeing those like big dudes in their green like latex <laughs> costumes, like puppeteering. <laughs> that was some of my favourite stuff for The Force Awakens behind the scenes, actually seeing them running behind BB-8. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it must be so weird to watch when you're that person, though, like watching the movie in that particular scene where you know you were yeah, running. Yeah, it's like, there's, there's, there's me. I'm just edited out. <laughs> yeah, I'm literally invisible. <laughs> amazing oh my god it's wonderful right i think we should probably move on to the rain kylo stuff okay. in the documentary this isn't like a huge focus because obviously yeah luke is the primary focus but there is some incredible behind the scenes material yeah and there's an extra little segment called i think it's called balance of the force so it's separate yes from the that's right but it's another feature on the blu-ray i didn't have time to rewatch that for this but that focuses on that a little bit more and obviously the luke stuff as well him explaining what the force is to ray and her sensing it but um yeah you're right that it's not yeah. like a key component of this documentary yeah it's still a very beautiful and important component to me though um, seriously, like, seeing Ryan and Ram, like, gush so much of Adam and Kylo is so awesome. Like, am I right to think that in the documentary, Ryan says at one point that Kylo was the character he was most excited about working on? Yeah, I've got the quote here, um, and it's over Adam working on the scenes. He says, Kylo, that was the character that I was most excited to get into in writing. Vader was a great villain, but he was never someone you identified with. Whereas with Kylo, it's almost like Ray and Kylo are two halves of the protagonist. If this is all about the transition between adolescence and adulthood, Kylo represents that anger. And then he also describes them as two halves of this whole. He says that over the finger-touching scene. Yeah. He says that over and over again at every opportunity he gets. Not just in this documentary, just in interviews generally about the movie. And I appreciate it so much. Mm -hmm. Can you remember the first time like, he made a comment to that effect? I think we all lost our minds. I think the entire fandom lost its mind because <laughs> some people <laughs> ran with it and thought that he was saying, oh, well, if Ray and Kylo are the protagonist and Finn isn't, which is obviously not true. They're just in different plots. Yes. 
Yeah, and this idea that, yeah, guess what? The son of Han and Leia and the grandson of Darth Vader is important to the Skywalker saga. Who would have thought? <gasps> Shock! Yeah. But yeah, this idea of them being two halves of a whole, like, it's it's hard to avoid what that suggests. Um, but yeah. So, it, like you say, it's really cute to see them. Like, I think the first time they talk about Adam and Kylo in the documentary... Like, you see him filming a scene, I think it's the first Force Bond one, and then Ram is like, oh, when Adam's here, he's he's so intense. And Ryan's just like, yeah, he's intense, <laughs> isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think they also made a very deliberate choice to never show Adam break character. Like, you never really see Adam in that documentary, like, just having a laugh and chilling with people. You know, they always just show, like, alternate angles of scenes that he's recording. Mm. I think the only time you really see him, and he's still like preparing for the scene, is at the throne room when he's like bouncing up and down to stay energized. I guess. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, there is a really charming behind-the-scenes shot of him. Like that's not in this documentary; it's in another behind-the-scenes thing, where he's in the cockpit of his Tie Fighter, and he's just like smiling this really goofy, unKylo-like grin. Mm-hmm. That is the cutest. Sorry, I sound like such a fan. No, I treasure that because so far it's the closest we have to a Kylo Ren smile, so. Yeah, exactly. Look, it's Ben Solo and he's so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, so it's lovely. And there's also a really great quote from Daisy where she talks about what goes on with Ray and Kylo in the movie. It's only when they touch that either of them actually see what could be. And through that, they build this kind of incredible intimacy. Luke should be the one nurturing Rey, and it's actually Kylo that is. And yeah, like I love that quote again. It's so good, and it gets to the heart of it, I think. And yeah, you kind of see Rey going through this accelerated process of growing up <laughs> over the course of The Last Jedi. It's like she goes from child to woman in the space of 48 hours, because of course that's like movie logic, that's how these things work. Because she goes from, like, trusting in her father figure to do everything for her and to come in and save the day. And then she moves from that to trusting in a peer, like, who seems so powerful and so alluring and so attractive, even though he's a bit mysterious and a bit dangerous and frightening. Of course, I'm talking about Kylo. And then she realises that he can't do everything she wants him to either, and so she ends up relying on herself. And, yeah, it's just such an interesting progression. Yeah, it's like she gets her heart broken over and over again by these different figures in her life that play very different roles. And by the end, she's like, okay, I can only really depend on myself. Obviously, she's reunited with her friends, and we'll see that dynamic more at the beginning of episode nine, presumably. But it is different. Like, the story is about her being let down by these male figures, and then it's very feminist, really, isn't it? Um, Yeah. Because it's not saying that she's weak or naive for trusting in these people, but um, the way that she interacts with them and the way they can't quite be what she needs them to be is yeah. it's empowering by the end, um, even as yeah. heartbreaking as it is. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like it's saying that those relationships weren't worth pursuing or that there was no value in them. It's just saying that she wanted things from them that they couldn't give. Right. Like just, you know, you're talking about like her her growth being accelerated. You get it very quickly shown through the obvious symbolism of things like her hair coming down while she's in the cave and stuff like that and and the touching of the fingers um obviously ryan's spoken before about what that represents but daisy talking here too that she's you know reaching out and they're building this intimacy 
and yeah. the place that she expected to get that nurturing, which is a very tender, positive word to use, she actually gets it from Kylo. Before yeah. he stomps on her heart exactly. and <laughs> ruins everything. <laughs> <laughs> he tends to be an asshole. It's so sad. Um, I'm sorry to go from a high tone to a low one, but I just want to say that that behind-the-scenes shot of Adam Driver's <laughs> chest is just pretty awe-inspiring. It's huge! The way that they <laughs> film is. it, because they it, it's almost a comedic <laughs> effect when she turns around and it's like, skin. <laughs> like, <laughs> just that angle is very like, oh, hello, here I am. Yeah, it literally just fills the entire frame. And it's like, wow. And it's like, I know people go on about the high-waisted trousers and the fact they look, that, that they look a bit silly, but I could swear that if he wasn't wearing the high-waisted trousers, it would just be obscene. Pretty much. I mean, there are shots of him in girls that are basically the same, where he just like opens a door and he's there, but he's just wearing like underpants and yeah. <laughs> it's too much. I'm pretty sure there's shots of him in girls where he's not well, wearing that. <laughs> sure, but I mean like specifically where it's like panning <laughs> down his chest and he's like, oh, hello. It's like, it's too much. Um, Bless him, he's such a trooper. And the shot, very important when you first see him and it's him from the back and that person is like spraying his hair. Yes. We're actually seeing his hair being done, it's important. Yeah, and he looks just so thoughtful and reflective, even as the hairspray's being put on. It's kind of like he's thinking, I wonder what Kylo would feel in this moment. <laughs> How would Kylo feel about hairspray? Like, what sort of philosophical positions does Kylo Ren have on hairspray? Well, because the way it's positioned, I, I don't know if it's actually going into this chronologically, but it looks like that's just before the scene where he goes to see Rey as she's arriving in the coffin. So he's, like, walking through the Isle of Stormtroopers. Um, yes. And then there's so much great stuff as well about Daisy and what an amazing performance she gives. Because, you know, mm. after the like the proposal scene in the phone room, she's obviously very emotional and she has to go to that difficult place herself. So even after they cut, kind of like how we were talking about with Mark earlier, she takes a while to get you know, to recover from that scene because it's emotionally intense. And, and Ryan says, like, you're amazing. And, she you know, she's still crying and looks like sad because it takes a lot yeah. out of her. And she really did give an amazing performance. And I think at the end... Um, Ram says to her, like, you should be very proud of yourself because you're unbelievable. Yeah, no, it's really impressive. I remember one particular part of the documentary where, like, Ryan goes up to Daisy and he's basically saying that he thinks she's doing a great job, but he's, like, asking her to be more internal and, like, trying to express things in her face more. And I was thinking, like, God, people really don't rate actors enough. You know, like when that's like what they're being asked to do, because like I ha have almost no consciousness like of what my face is doing in any given moment, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, whereas like an actor, you need to think about like the muscles in your face and how you're expressing those like internal thoughts and feelings that aren't actually like yours, they're your characters, but you need to make them as real as possible, which includes making them physical. And yeah, it just filled me with admiration, really. Yeah, I mean, you basically need to live it. And that's why it takes them a while to come out. Like, if you're going from like a Stanislavski approach, you actually have to identify with what the character's going through, right? And that can be really yeah. hard. Because um, Ray's arc is so intense. And by the end of the story, it takes her so much strength to reject Kylo's offer 
because it's so badly what she wants to belong and she really saw this future with him and now she has to carve out her own way um yeah and i think the the last scene that they showed daisy filming was when she was in the falcon at the end with chewy um mm. i've seen a lot of criticism and i think we might have mentioned this in our discussion of ray's arc that at the end it, it's kind of jarring for people to see her back in this oh i'm so happy and i'm shooting the falcon and but that to me is just a way of ray trying to cope with the absolute heartbreak she's gone through so yeah. it must have been a strange note to end the filming on but it's kind of what ray has to do to survive yeah it's like a coping mechanism as much as anything yeah. Yeah, I think we should move on from Rain Kylo soon, but before we do, I just need to bring up how they show the behind the scenes of that awful, awful, heartbreaking, wonderful scene where Kylo is basically asking Rey to rule alongside him, and like he does the whole begging thing, and it's just subtly different takes, but you get Adam Driver as Kylo Ren saying please twice and I can't even attempt to do what he does with it but oh it just shatters my heart every time I hear it yeah I'm wondering with that whether it's like two different takes of him saying please or if they had a version where he said it repeatedly mm. oh that god a, well, I don't know I mean I th- I love the take they went for so it's you know it's gonna yeah. nose, but it's it is like more intense because the way he says it is like it is a little more beseeching yeah no it's very beseeching and he just sounds so lost you know it's kind i kind of obviously i know i'm like ridiculously over reading this it's kind of my job at this point um but he's sort of like i get the vibe from him where he feels like he doesn't know what he's going to do if ray doesn't say yes and so that's why he's so desperate and why he's so insistent and why he repeats it because if she doesn't say yes he's just like nothing you know he has no steer left and i think that's actually what you see to be honest in the movie after she does reject him because he's just kind of like lashing out oh yeah he had no plan <laughs> he had no plan B, yeah he? i mean i think that's why he yeah. like, blames it on ray when hux asks like that she killed him because he was like oh i didn't see any of this coming and from his perspective he he's laying it all out but we know he hasn't he actually could have phrased things a lot better but didn't because he didn't quite want to say how he felt at least that's how it yeah. seems to me. Um, so mm. we'll see if that comes up again in nine, because there is oh, a major miscommunication does. going on between them there about what they both want yeah. and think that they should have. So yeah, exactly. It's so heartbreaking, and I love seeing Ryan's reaction as they're filming it. He like puts his hands together and he's like, "Oh, it's like it's it's very like oh, this is a very important moment." <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh. <laughs> Yeah, and also it was adorable that Ryan went up to Daisy after the scene and like comforted her because you could see how cut up she was. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it was really well done. Right, then to sadly extract ourselves from all the Raylo goodness in the documentary, um, there is a wonderful little moment at one of the meetings where Ryan is talking about the tweets he's been get from getting from a Russian account begging him not to kill General Hux. This is one of my favourite moments. <laughs> Because it's kind of Ryan, like, first getting acquainted with the weirdness of fandom. Yes, I love it so much. Because to you and me, we look at that and it's pretty obvious to us that those are probably Kylux accounts. Yeah, they're real people. And he thinks they're bots. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, why would anyone be a General Hux fan <laughs> account? 
Oh my god. I bet he knows so much more about Kylux and all the Star Wars ships, to be honest, than he ever wanted to know. Yeah, yeah there are people out there who Hux is their favourite character and they don't want him to die because what does it he says? Like, that he has a lovely personality. <laughs> yes. It's amazing. He's a real charmer. <laughs> well, they got their wish, though, so I'm very happy for people. I think my favourite thing about it, actually, is that, well, aside mm-hmm. from that hilarity, that it, like, makes it clear that at this point, when people had, like, first seen or heard of General Hux, Ryan had already written a script, you know? Like, it was already done. Everything was decided. Yeah. So there's been a lot of reaction of, like, oh, he changed things to subvert people's expectations after The Force Awakens. Um, he didn't. Everything was already written. So, yeah. It's kind of a good reminder of that. Exactly. Yeah. And also, just one other thing to mention, I didn't see any behind the scenes of Donal at all. Oh, yeah. Not even behind the scenes of... Oh, no, filming. that's not true. There's a bit where Adam is shooting the the Kylo more more in on crate and you oh, and you see Donald's right. reaction. Oh okay, right. I missed that. I obviously wasn't paying enough attention to that part. I need to go back. But yeah, I think it's a good it's a good I thing. I think that's about it. So it is very little. Yeah. No, it's a greatest hits sort of compilation. Yeah, so let's move on to talking about like the Canto Bite subplot cuz there's so much in the documentary about how hard Michael Kaplan, and I can't remember the name of the hairdresser guy, but he's in there too. Um, oh God, yeah, that guy had the most amazing facial hair yeah, I've he was ever awesome. seen. The makeup he, guy, right? Yeah, and he was talking about how- I wrote was... down his name. Oh, I found it. Peter Swords King. Right. That's a great name. Because um, that is an amazing He was name. also talking about how they spent like five or six months deciding what Carlos Scar was going to look like as well. So just to get an idea of like the level of effort and intensity- and you see all of these amazing outfits and the hair and the makeup they did for Canto Bright and then so much of it didn't actually make its way into the movie. Um, obviously you get a sense for yeah. it and you get these like paz- pans around as they like kind of build up the world. But you can mm. see from the deleted scenes there are huge extended moments, um, you know, even with Warwick Davis's alien in that spa scene as well. And the, it's yes. just such a shame. I'm glad that we see it here. But and you understand why that a lot of that Canto Bite stuff was cut, but it's still it's like, oh wow, look at all this work they put in. And even after Michael Kaplan had all these reservations about like a casino in Star Wars, that sounds really weird. Um yeah, it's just like kind of a shame that it didn't it didn't work out. Um and then yeah. if, when we're looking at some of the Canto Bite footage, we did actually get some extra details that kind of fit into things we know from the novelization. Like um Finn yeah. goes up to one of the tables at the casino and says, oh, I wish Ray could see this. Yes, I loved seeing that. I also loved the part where um, you see Ryan discussing how there was going to be this reveal moment for Rose, where she starts off in the jumpsuit, mm. but then she gets a really beautiful like evening gown like to blend in with the Canto Bike crowd. Like The aesthetic person in me, who loves beautiful dresses and would love to see Kelly in a gorgeous gown, really misses that but at the same time i can kind of recognize that it's a big like cliche you know so i understand why they might have moved away from that but i think a part of me wants it still you know yeah it's it's complicated because i appreciate a lot of the subversion they did with a rose and finn's like romantic elements but that would have been like a clear signal to people to like see finn's reaction to her changing into something i think he he describes Ryan when he's talking to Michael Kaplan that Rose would have first appear in this unflattering jumpsuit and then I think in the Art of the Last Jedi book they say that they changed it to um, 
that like the first order officer uniform would be her reveal because it's form fitting and she does look really good in it and like finn's kind of playing yeah. with her hair in that deleted scene so you get a bit more intimacy between them at that point but it would have just been a bit more broadcasting to the audience that there was like this romantic thing building up between them um before they yes. kiss at the end obviously so yeah, oh well. like, I definitely would have liked to see some of those behind-the-scenes moments from the Star Destroyer built up more. But yeah, you're right in that you can kind of understand why they were cut out, but it's still a shame. Yeah, so it's cool to get that stuff here, um, and you get more of like these amazing like slow-motion shots of Finn and Phasma as they fight, and just like the incredible intensity on John's face because it's so much effort. You can see how hard he's working and to hold his own against. Gwendolyn Christie who's this like statuesque goddess is just it's really cool yeah no it's really awesome like they clearly put a lot of effort into epicify in that scene so it's a bit like the um throne room scene well and it makes sense obviously from a world building point of view because they're both in the star destroyer oh no wait that's not actually true um because one of them happens after the other let me rephrase that um, yeah, you can tell it's made really epic and it reminds me a lot of the presentation of the throne room scene with Rey and Kylo because in both scenes you have all these sparks and fires like raging in the background and I guess that makes sense because I think they're alluding to the whole theme they have of and this will be the spark that ignites the fire that burns down the First Order, that sort of thing and I think you see visual manifestations of that in both fight scenes, which, yeah, I appreciate. There's lots of awesome thematic stuff going on. Yeah, and I just love hearing Ryan talk about Rose and Kelly by extension, because obviously she's his OC. Like, that's the new character that he created for this story and obviously felt was very important to Finn's arc. Um, yeah. And how he's talking about her like, this is the person that I would have been friends with in high school. It's not who you expect to see in a Star Wars movie because we watch her become the hero over the course of the movie. And I think yeah. I think he really understands why she would be important to a lot of people. So just, mm. I could listen to him talk about Rose and Kelly all day. Yeah, no, you can tell how much he cares about her and cares about the character. So yeah, I really appreciated seeing those parts. Mm -hmm. Um... Right, then just to close, I think the natural end point is to talk about that beautiful, beautiful reunion scene between Luke and Leia, because in the documentary they show a take of that scene that I honestly think is even better than the take they included in the movie, like especially Carrie's acting in it, it's just wow, she really like gave it everything, I think it just felt so raw and vulnerable in just such a real way i think it ties back a bit to what we were saying earlier about how i think like mark and carrie kind of drew from like aspects that they felt very much as themselves as real people you know like relating the characters experiences to their own experiences because yeah i don't think you can go to those places without doing that to some degree yeah there's something about i mean, i think it's really wonderful that we get these different versions of the same scenes um, through documentaries like this because it it does mm. somehow add to the poignancy to see it delivered in these different like very slightly different ways it's quite subtle but um you can kind of see the different emphasis on the words and how it might reflect something different from the actors like mark's yeah. mark's version of no one's ever really gone there really sticks with me 
Um, he just yeah. emphasizes it in a slightly different way and it just kind of hits you when you're looking at these actors who've known each other for so long and really do feel like family. It really lends this extra weight and um, I think Ryan sp- speaks earlier on in the documentary that obviously they didn't know what was going to happen with Carrie so it's not it wasn't intended as a goodbye but I'm so yeah. glad that we have these scenes um, because the acting is incredible and I think it it was important for a lot of fans to see that like we didn't get really we didn't get the same level of reunion in the force awakens we got han and leia but to see luke and leia is really special yeah no it was really beautiful it also reminded me i don't think that they really go into this in the documentary but we know that carrie like worked on the script a bit with ryan don't we i think there's a little bit here when he says Oh, she, she. They say something about the hair, like he changed her hair. Um, she mm. really likes it. Um, yeah, I think that was um, Carrie's contribution to the scene. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's really nice, and I think that adds to that personal touch that you get from it. Yeah, it just kind of makes you sad yeah. all over again that Carrie's not going to be around for nine. So obviously, we know that she's going to be in the movie technically now, but I think Mark's even said like it. I'm not shooting the movie with her. It's the first one I've done without her. So. Yeah, of course. I expect it must be very hard if like any of the actors do have to have scenes with Leia in episode 9. Like that's going to be quite an emotional experience for them, I expect, having to like act off whatever they're using to construct a performance for Leia in episode 9. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I'm sure everyone will be very professional about it and um, it will all be discussed a lot, so. Yeah. And at the yeah. end of that scene as well, at the end of that take, you see Ryan comforting carry as well so again it's it's showing that he really cares about the emotional places that he takes these actors um and and really wants to reassure them that they're doing an amazing job so yeah no he just seems like a lovely lovely man because i think historically there's been this like image of the director as a bit of a tyrant you know someone who pushes his actors to these really like tough challenging places like deliberately because he wants a certain type of performance from them you know you read all those famous stories about Kubrick, Bully and Shelley Duvall on the set of The Shining mm. and I think Ryan is really the opposite of that now he's just really compassionate and he really cares about the people he's working with and yeah the documentary went to great lengths to show that which I really appreciated yeah exactly you can get people to these dark places while being supportive and that can be yeah. helpful you know you're you're talking them through it you're explaining this is what i wanted from this character arc and and here's how he got to this point and here's where he's going to go next you should you can yeah. do that in a positive encouraging way exactly yeah no so overall just an awesome documentary um i very much doubt anyone listening to this will have not seen it but on the off chance that you haven't obviously do make sure you watch it because it's 100% worth your time yeah and it gets me even more excited about what we're going to see from Ryan in terms of future Star Wars work um yeah he is a gift he is he's wonderful and he just has such a great approach to filmmaking and character and writing I just love the craft that he has going on it's great Mm -hmm. and maybe we'll get a similar style of documentary for nine or even longer and and more out there because they'll have nothing left to hide at that point yeah oh please please (laughs) come on jj (laughs) right so i think we should probably tie up here so i think we have places to be so i'm rachel you can find me at star wars nonsense on tumblr and at journal of the star wars on wordpress where can people find you kirsty i'm bastila bay on tumblr and scavengers horde on twitter 
thank you so much for listening and until next time bye bye